Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by James DeLacy. So James is a strength and conditioning coach and he has worked all over the world in various different roles. He started his career in New Zealand, he's also moved to Romania and currently has just moved to the United States of America. And that makes him the perfect guest today to discuss how you can avoid culture shocks when you move countries. So without further ado, it's time to welcome James onto the show. So James DeLacy, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here again. Yeah, man, I think this is number five. Something or maybe, like that. Maybe if you count the old research, uh, whatever they call the old research uh, video things that we used to do for the members back in the day. But this might be the fifth appearance now. So uh, yeah, you're, I think you're our most common guest. So um, <laughs> certainly not a backup guest, but just the most common guest. Now, um, it's uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on, mate. Um, I'm glad you dressed up for the occasion as well for our first uh, our first video podcast. Got your suit yeah, on. I'm wearing yeah my formal attire. This is everyday <laughs> formal attire. This is as good as it gets. <laughs> yeah, B- business interview chic. But um, now so. Um, we're, we're here today to discuss culture, right? Um, and you've, uh, you've lived in loads of different places. You've experienced loads of different cultures. Can you give us a quick background as to who you are, what you've done, where you've lived, and the kind of cultures that you've been in? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, whistle stop. Eh? Whistle stop. I, won't, I won't go too deep. Worked mainly in professional rugby over three countries. So New Zealand, where I'm from, uh, USA, where I'm based now, and Romania, twice. Twice. <laughs> where my, yeah, twice. Um, so those are three countries kind of worked in the different cultures there. Um, in terms of what I'm doing now, I'm kind of just doing my own own stuff online since the pandemic, host my own podcast, Sweet Science of Fighting podcast, just a shameless plug while we're at it. Um, do a whole lot of other stuff. I don't even know what I'm doing here, but it's still strength and conditioning, physical performance stuff, and then some other things with online business and business, kind of like the business side, which has been quite fun. Awesome, awesome. So you've got those, those kind of different cultures in um, – You've got like the Oceania uh, part, you've got the, the Europe mm. part, you've got the America part, right? So mm-hmm. with those those big rocks as such, how do you think that they differ? What's the, what's the biggest differences between those cultures? Well, obviously language is a, is a big one, as most people would probably uh, understand in terms of depending where you are in the world. But what's nice, at least, is when you come from a country like New Zealand, it's known as, it's a melting pot of cultures. You have It's like a multicultural country. You've got everyone and everything there so at least coming through i guess my own sporting athletic amateur shitty career there and then <laughs> turning to an SC coach and coaching with teams there obviously you're dealing with a lot of um the island cultures the different island cultures you got the indigenous obviously new zealand cultures um and then obviously everything in between there so you kind of get exposed to a lot of different ways of I guess handling and dealing with people in that regard. Um, it's it's funny because even within the sport, though the sports have their own cultures too, right? So obviously you've got rugby around the world. It's there's a rugby culture, but there's kind of little nuances, I guess, within that how people like to train, um, how countries like to do things as well with within the sport. For example, um, I guess you could say Romania having or recently come out of communism, I guess, 30 years ago or so that they're more kind of like directive, you know, being told what to do. That's not to say other countries don't do that either. Obviously coach, some coaches just you know, like to tell army kind of a uh, combative, tell them what to do. But that's kind of one thing. Whereas in New Zealand, at least there tends to be a lot more play as well, just because that's like, 
that's the culture in New Zealand in terms of when you've got like um, the island nations in there and, and New Zealand is like playing a lot of games, playful, laughing, things like that. And it's not so much within, for example, in that Eastern European culture, but that's not to say you can't bring that in there too, right? So obviously professional teams around the world recruit players from around the world. So you always get a blend of cultures. It's never just the one thing in that country. So um, it's almost like you can bring that culture in. Within the USA, it's, I guess you could say, training culture here is so instilled in sport that is that um i guess like snc is such a big component of sport anyway that it's not such a big deal like most people i guess most people here i don't want to go bagging (laughs) (laughs) you can't man you (laughs) can't but like like some of the uh, not okay this is not representative of all american coaches american everything but just like generally it's so geared towards being the last one to leave working hard being as strong as possible, you know, grinding. That's kind of like the culture that you almost have to try to pull them back from that a bit. Not everyone, because obviously rugby's it's not such a big sport in America. We have you have actually have a lot of internationals anyway that kind of bring uh, a different culture to it. But if you had a team of just American players, maybe they come from a football background or whatever, that's kind of thing you'll get. But because rugby is so niche anyway, a lot of the players don't come from those sports, so it kind of evens it out too. Yeah, so it's not the stereotypical American, like, bald, massive, probably fat, yeah. goatee, chinos, inexplicable <laughs> polo t-shirts coaching. Yeah, yeah I, you yeah. can see it before, you can see it in front of you, right? Like, with a microphone for no reason, like, yeah. Yeah, a megaphone. <laughs> That's just the voice. Nah, we'll, 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 yeah. stop, we'll stop destroying the Americans. We, we like them, too. Um, yeah. But like, I live here now, so I'll lose my green card. I was going to say, yeah, you, you, you got trouble, mate. I'm, I'm just going to go away. <laughs> Um, so you've got, you've got those different cultures, right? Like what are the biggest challenges that you faced with those different places? Well, language is obviously the biggest one. Uh, I mean, you've, you've done well where you are cause you've fully learned the language and that's yeah. a huge, that's a huge thing for buy-in too. I, I, I guess I tried learning like a few things so I could kind of instruct certain things in Romania. I got to a point where I could basically almost take a whole session in Romanian, just really broken, shitty Romanian. Um, but some of the players really like that because it's almost like, Hey, you know, he's trying to learn our language, learn our culture to be able to get by and stuff like that. So that's, that's kind of the biggest challenge. It's, t- it's hard to really relate to, I guess, some like USA, New Zealand, all that. Cause we're all English speaking is relatively easy to, to relate to the players. But obviously when you get to different, uh, languages, even with the translator, it becomes difficult to relate. And then even the way. I don't know, just things are done and general, I guess, conversations and stuff like that, it still becomes difficult because it's just so different, at least when you're comparing things like Eastern Europe to like how, how laid back New Zealand is. Um, if you almost think of New Zealand as like beach bum, white, like beach bum culture, really chilled, USA might be a little more uh, work hard, blah, blah. And then like Eastern Europe might be like kind of tell you what to do do whatever but when it's funny it's like the one of the main things i've noticed in romania is when they talk to you or when they talk to each other it always sounds like they're fighting or arguing like always and it's like you don't know if they are or not (laughs) and also when they talk like if i'm talking to you somewhere whatever we kind of we'll stand kind of like side by side or kind of angled but in romania they'll stand right in front of you and like and talk to you but it's not confrontational but they'll talk to you like in front of you in front of your face that's kind of i wouldn't say off-putting but it's 
it's different to what you're kind of used to, you know? So these are kind of things that you, that you learn, I guess, working in different places too. And in terms of that language barrier, like how, how can you best overcome that? Right. Because it's not as if every coach is going to learn the language perfectly. So assuming that you can do some things to learn some words and some bits and pieces, yeah. like, what are the other things that you can do to overcome that, that language barrier? Man, you just get good at coaching without talking <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah. or trying. I mean, even if they don't know the language, they'll know probably some basic words. So you can, you almost teach them the English word <laughs> for whatever it is you're trying to cue. Um, but other than that, you just find ways to be able to get across whatever your point is without, and you'll have used the players as translators, basically. That's, that's the workaround. And in terms of like, uh, coaching, so you mentioned cues, for example, do you then, instead of making it a, a verbal cue, do you use a lot more demonstrations? Is, is that adjusted to, to the people yeah. in front of you? Yeah, but I'll still do verbal at the same time, but it will be always demonstrated what I want anyway. And I mean, People say like, okay, yeah, you don't know the language stuff, but obviously a lot of the head coaches that come in, you know, don't speak a lick of their language and they come in and they're, and they're able to do whatever they, they need to do. Not always, hasn't always worked. So right now in Romania, they've got a, a coach that's uh, from the UK and they're doing quite well. But when here in Austin, we brought a coach in that was French and he didn't speak like, he barely spoke in English. And it's almost like the reverse doesn't work. So bringing a, a foreigner who doesn't speak English to an English-speaking team does, doesn't work, but the vice versa, English-speaking to a non-English-speaking team can potentially work. And I think that's mainly just because of maybe the level, um, maybe because generally, this is a very big generalization, so no one can come shit me out on this one, but generally the English-speaking com- countries are better at rugby. So that might be a, a general thing. Who, which countries uh, would you include as not good at rugby, though? <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> all good, all good. So when, when it comes to, like, um, the, the benefits of culture, right? So you, you've seen <clears throat> lots of different places. Um, you've obviously benefited from that as well, right? So you're, you're here having a chat about all of the things that you might need to overcome and how to do it. But what, what has it taught you along the way? What's, what's it done for you and how has it improved you as a, as a person or a coach? Yeah. Um, honestly, it's just more of being, I think being exposed to multiple cultures in the beginning is it just helps you relate to a bunch of different athletes where you're not just stuck in one way of doing things. And I think, I honestly believe that's one of the, one of the benefits of growing up and being in New Zealand, starting there because there's such a wide range of cultures that going overseas, it's not such a shock. Whereas if, you know, if you're stuck maybe one place and that's like, everything's done this way you only deal with these type of people if you do go overseas you're going to have a you know a huge shock heading over there trying to implement whatever you're trying to do and everyone's like nah nah fuck that basically um but it's tough like i've tried to i tried to implement a few things in romania something stuck some things you know some players it's it's like the way they like to do things is the way like they like to do things <clears throat> and then tr- trying to change things maybe for what you know, I think is better may not translate into what they think is better. And so it's, you have to almost trade off um, certain things. Um, but it's not just the culture of, I guess, the country and the team. Sometimes it's the culture of the head coach as well, right? What he wants to bring in, um, what they like to do. So I've had situations where I couldn't do whatever was what I believe and what many believe would be the right thing and the good thing to do for the players, but they are stuck in whatever they want to do. And that 
obviously that supersedes what everything, well, what everyone else wants to do because they're the head coach, their head's on the chopping block, even though ours is also on the chopping block, but it's just not in the spotlight like theirs is. And how, how do you deal with those coaches, right? Because obviously that that's a cultural thing as well because some coaches might <laughs> uh, might respond well to criticism or to, to some kind of uh, like confrontation and others maybe completely not. So how, how do you then deal with a coach who maybe comes from a different culture and yeah. all of a sudden is, is kind of blocking you from doing your job? So <clears throat> sometimes you just, you just can't. Like as much as we like to talk about, oh, you know, present them with this, collaborate, blah, blah. Some just, I mean, yeah, it's human beings, right? Not everyone is going to want to collaborate with you. Not everyone is going to want to do this. It doesn't matter how you present what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you, whatever. Sometimes things just won't fly. And that's going to be a decision you're going to have to make, whether you stay or go or whatever you do, um, whether you want to put up with it or not. Um, at that time when I was working with the team <clears throat> and the coach basically took out all speed training and just wanted them to run around for 10 minutes playing a game as warm up. Like they were running like pretty much under four meters per second. It was like a walk jog um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. for 10 minutes. And instead of speed training, because speed training is a waste of time. It's just like, you know, maybe there's other ways to try to fit it in, but there isn't really because that was kind of like the only time I had. And when things like that happen, sometimes you'd just be like, well, you know, do I want to be part of this? kind of thing it's killing your motivation and want to coach of course you want to help the players and be do the best for them but obviously if you're hamstrung to what you can do then it becomes a little more difficult and that's when you can weigh up with yourself whether you want to stay or go or whatever and it also comes down to i essentially listened to a what's a business podcast today? must have been the beginning of last year and something that was really good was about thinking of yourself yourself as the business so you're almost like you're not employed by the team that contracting you because you're the business. So is this a good fit for the business? And that business is you. Is this a good fit for you as the business? So there's little things you can kind of think about, like, you know, is this taking my business yourself? You know, is this good for that? Uh, I guess for building yourself and your business. I think that's some great advice. And when, when it comes to advising coaches <clears throat> and athletes, like, if they're, if they're expecting a culture shock, right? So let's say um, you're, you're used to working in New Zealand your whole life and you're going to go to Romania. There's going to be a, a fairly large culture shock. So mm. what can coaches or athletes do to minimize that culture shock? Because athletes as well, they, they, can, they can just be taken yeah. at, the, at the pitch <clears> of a... Like they, they literally just turn around like, okay, uh, you've got six hours, sign your contract. Uh, you're getting on a play, the transfer window's tomorrow. So uh, see you later. So like, how, yeah. how do you deal with that kind of culture shock, which, which might be fairly unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. I did that. New Zealand to Romania that was the first one I did. That was, but that was like, I don't know. I wanted to get out and work full time. Obviously New Zealand's small. So getting out to work full time and coaching stuff like that for me, it was just like, I'll take any risk and go anywhere. And I didn't mind. So uh, the biggest thing is just to immerse yourself in, in their culture. I mean, I can't say, I mean, from my experience, like I never found it scary or whatever, because it's like you get to go see a new place and you're getting paid to live there. You're getting, if you're with a team or contract, you're somewhat getting looked after. You're probably um, being housed or whatever. So you don't have to worry about that stuff. So you've got things you don't need to worry about. And it's just immersing yourself with the, the staff, the players, getting to know the culture, the food, whatever it is, and being able to do that stuff is you'll settle in relatively quickly like because because you're already part of the team. You're not going there, for example, oh, I'm going to go on an OE by myself. Uh, I don't know if, if some of you want to, OE, overseas experience for, I guess, any non-Commonwealth 
<laughs> people. But since you go overseas by yourself to go try find whatever it is, and you're kind of like uh, going from on the backpackers or whatever, this here you're you're straight into a team environment. So you've got essentially friends ready uh, to meet you that you're going to work with, colleagues and all that stuff. So I guess in terms of getting ready for it, it's just kind of embrace it and immerse yourself. And like when, when as a, a young person who's maybe not experienced any other cultures before, like what, what kind of top tips would you give them? Because you can think uh, for, for yourself, for example, maybe you were, you were 23, 24 years old. You're like, cool, I want to go see the world. Let's go do this. Mm. Um, but it could be a 16-year-old who's just been signed by a, a rugby team, a football team, whatever. And all they know is, well, I'm going to go to that club. Uh, maybe they're loaned out, for example. So that's that's maybe even worse that you think it's, it's short term. Um, what what can those athletes do to to be ready for that different culture? Man, I don't think there's anything you can do to be ready until you just go there and experience it. Um, for the, I mean, for the young ones, it's I wouldn't say it's much different in terms of I guess being there and finding anything shocking you know it might be different if it's like the first time maybe being away maybe you live at home you know that's going to be a different experience there i know we had players in romania the first time they had left tonga ever and they were in romania and <laughs> that's a culture shock you can imagine the carnage <laughs> yeah, yeah. buddy parties coming to the you know through my to my apartment ceiling at bloody five, six in the morning. Like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. You know, Celine Dion being blasted at five, six in the morning. So, <laughs> <Loving> <laughs> that. yeah, so there's a, there's obviously a few, yeah. There's, a lot of them bring their culture with them as well. Obviously, a lot of players won't, they won't be by themselves, a lot of them. So you, you likely won't be the only one from your country if you're being recruited for that sport because obviously your country is probably good at that sport. So, for example, every, pretty much everywhere I've been, we've had multiple Kiwi, South Africans, Australians, um, Tongans, Samoans, whatever. And they kind of all come together anyway. So I guess if you're young and heading overseas, if you have those people within your club, obviously you'll automatically start making friends with them and, and kind of hanging out with them. And that will kind of lessen that culture shock too. Um, and like, I suppose there's some people who don't necessarily um, have someone from the same location mm. but there are other um foreign players as well right so all foreign stuff yeah players. exactly so i can imagine that exactly. makes it a little bit easier to to combine even if uh, there's uh, there's a guy from new zealand but also a guy from america and they're both working in uh, romania well at least you can both speak english or at least you're you're both the foreign guys so you're seen yeah. as t- for, by the team as the foreign guys instead of that guy and that guy i can imagine it makes it easier as well yeah and english speaking co- <clears throat> some english speaking cultures are so similar like New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, um, the islands. It's like the culture is so similar. Like straight away you you gel together, like in terms of those, especially because they're big rugby playing nations. Yeah. At least with them, you know, with them rugby. So they, you gel together so quickly because you all, can all relate to the same things. Like the cultures are relatively the same. Even like if you think New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, you're like, okay, they're so different, but the lifestyles are so similar that it becomes quite easy to do that. So, and some things I've noticed. Well, I mean, even with um, even with people from from the UK as well, you know, like it's it's still still some I mean, more Commonwealth nations as well. So that makes it a little, I guess, easier to relate because the lifestyles aren't too different. Um, <clears throat> yeah. 
Nice. I think that's uh, that's an an excellent little piece of advice for a lot of people to to try and yeah improve those those different areas. Uh, attack the language barrier. Try and yeah learn a little bit of the language, but potentially also adjust your your um, coaching when necessary. And of course, to to try and overcome those big shocks and and prepare yourself well and uh, mm-hmm. try and make some friends who are in the same boat as you as well. So I think that's some fantastic advice. James, massive thanks for your time and effort. Yeah. I really enjoyed it and uh, look forward to the next one. All right, thank you. How, how long did it take you to to learn uh, Dutch? Uh, yeah, it took me probably about a year to be able to, to say enough stuff that people didn't stop me and just speak English. Um, <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> Probably another year or so to, to be like, right, we can do this. And then uh, as soon as you get to a certain point, you just, uh, yeah, you just keep going. So uh, did, did, it, did it change anything regarding buy-in or um, yeah, I play think it? Buy, buy-in from everyone. Um, so I, when, I, when I went there, it was, it was clear that my intention was to learn it and to do it. And in honesty, like, so I did a, I did a, an internship for a year and by the end of it, I can kind of coach a little bit. Then I went away to Dubai for a year. That was another cultural experience. Um, yeah. and I came back again. So by the time I come back, um, then I was coaching in, uh, in Dutch the whole time, did another internship. And, um, by the time I was employed then, then everything was in Dutch. So, mm. um, that makes it a really easy sell to the uh, the people who want to pay you money to do this. Like, yeah, yeah. Hey, at least I'll do it in your language. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, if if at some point they say, yeah, it's completely fine, but maybe they'll change their mind or maybe it's a, it's a pain in their ass or maybe they just don't want to speak English the whole time, whatever, then yeah, you, you kind of uh, ensure yourself against uh, any eventuality. And I think yeah. as well for the for the younger athletes, they might not be confident in speaking English, even in the Netherlands, yeah. their, their English is fantastic. <clears throat> Um, and also I would hazard a guess, although I've not tried it, that if you're going to do a max squat and someone's going to start speaking English to you in between your sessions or in between your lifts, I can imagine that's just draining. You're like, Oh, I've got to think about this as well. All I want to do is just stand up really, really slowly with weight (laughs) on my back. Like that. Yeah. It's, um, I can imagine that plays into it as well. So Mm. the, those combinations I think are important. Um, and uh, yeah, when you put it all together, then I think it makes a big difference. Yeah. Didn't you say in Dubai as well? Didn't you? You were telling me a while ago, like the parents were hectic over there and they were dropping kids off like Lamborghinis and stuff. Oh, mate, the kids drop themselves off in that. Like, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> like I remember a specific situation, right, where um, there was a kid who was not turning up to the gym um, and the team manager was like, right, we're going to find him his wages. I'm like, cool. Good. We're getting somewhere. That's That's brilliant. He gets fined two hundred and fifty dollars, and he's eighteen years old, and he rocks up in a Ferrari, and I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> don't bother finding him, mate. Like, it's just administration for you. It doesn't matter. This doesn't hurt him." Um, so yeah, I mean, like, yeah, the, those cultural things are a little bit of a, a shock to the system as well. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's a different story for another day. <laughs> oh man, some of the things you have to deal with there, isn't this, and two coach? Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> looking back at it, it, make, it makes you better, right? So like, like one of the things I just asked you about the uh, about how it improves you as a coach. Yeah. yeah, it improves you as a coach because not only do you get cool stories out of it to tell other athletes, like, hey, at least you're not that bad. Um, yeah, like uh, you can you can get a laugh out of it, but but also you you learn to deal with those things and to to challenge the athlete in a different way and, and convince him mm. in a different way. Um, coach him in a different way to get the result that you want. And if you can't do mm. that, that's fine. Um, maybe he needs a different coach. Maybe another person can get a different reaction. Um, and maybe mm. with time it all comes in. But um, 
Or yeah, maybe they just maybe they just never put the effort in. Maybe they fail. Well. Maybe they fail. But, but they could be, could be helped. But they could be damn good uh, sporting athletes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, was, and then, problem. but then, but then, what do you do in that situation? You know, if if someone's a shithead in whatever training, and they half-ass everything, but they're the star player. You know, that, then it becomes that's another culture thing too, right? You're going to be able to try and manage that <clears throat> around everyone else. But I think as well, when you're looking at that, players know. You know, if someone's like this, players know how good whoever is and they're like okay they understand that and they know they might need to work harder to get to that it's not like a it's not like a preschool where it's like oh he doesn't have to do anything i don't have to do anything and you have players like that if you have players like that anyway like it gets to a point where you're just like fucking like you know you're that, that, that wasting your time they're wasting your time too if you, if you yeah, think yeah. about it like yes you're employed by the club and your job is to train them and stuff but you're you're not there to motivate and make players make players do things they need to come it needs to be on their own accord you know it needs to be athlete like it's what they call athlete led right so but that, that can't be come from the top down yeah i mean that that's also a very uh european <clears throat> uh western way of thinking about it right so like like you mentioned in um in romania where it's not necessarily the case that it's all intrinsic motivation yeah. and and uh for sure yeah i mean we we live in a a very nice <clears throat> society where everyone gets medals for losing um, yeah. like if you don't get, if you don't, yeah, if you don't live in a society where that's the case, um, then yeah, results matter. And at the end of the yeah. day, if you, if you can't get results because you didn't work hard enough, then yeah, it's your own stupid fault. Yeah. Um, but if you get results without working, then sometimes, especially when you, you've succeeded in everything else in your life or you don't have to, to fail, um, then why would you, why would you work harder? <laughs> um, yeah. so it's but difficult to convince those people to do it. You should see in Romania, like, because it was, they still run almost like a communist, I don't want to say a communist, I'm going to sort of say a communist regime, no one come after me again. A communist <laughs> regime for their, like, Olympic sports, right? So they have a, a system where it's their job. Like, they get paid to come in, and I'm going to take weightlifting, for example, because that's kind of what my wife's most involved with and what I was kind of around there as well. So weightlifters, young kids, don't get paid that money to go to the parents. Like, some of these kids are, like, dirt poor. Like can't get by, money goes to the parents. It's kind of like they pay, help support the parents by doing a sport. But so they shop every day because it's their job. They get paid by the club, even though it's probably late most of the time. <laughs> but they get, if they win a medal at nationals, you get essentially a pension for life. If you win another medal at, say, Europeans or Worlds or Olympics, whatever it is, you know, you're sorted for life. You get that money forever. So, but also the coach does. The coach also gets the money. So there's a big incentive for them to make it because if they don't, they're going to go work at the supermarket or whatever. Yeah. So that's like a, it's almost like to be athlete led there, it's a little more difficult because it's like the coach is going to tell you what to do. And you're employed to do it. And if you don't do it, you're going to go work at the supermarket or whatever it is. Um, yeah. But they make, <clears throat> some of them make damn good money. I mean, you're making like winning, winning a bronze medal at Europeans, you're making like 750 euros a month kind of thing. For life, forever, forever, forever. Okay. Yeah, and I can imagine that goes a long like, way in Romania as well, right? Yeah, and then obviously you stack medals up and records or whatever, and it goes across all those sports too. Um, there's lots of retired athletes and stuff like that, and then coaches and things too. So it's, I mean, that's why if anyone knows weightlifting, if anyone knows the heavyweight Lusher from Georgia, he only breaks the world record by one kilo every time he competes. Because every time you break the world record, you get a shit ton of money. 
So you break it by one by kilo every single time, you set yourself up for life, right? And your coaches. Um, so it's kind of a, yeah, that's like it. I mean, it's another thing to go into culture, right? So something like that is a little different than outside of the world where athletes, yeah, they're paid and contracted. And I guess you get win bonuses too, but it's not like from a young age, you're there, you have to do it, blah, blah, because you're trying to support whoever it is and, and trying to do it to basically to, you know, work whatever it is. I think yeah, the it's, it's a it's a nice situation to be in where the the fail or the fallback option is a minimum wage job, which will probably still pay the bills. Like I'm not saying that mm. we want to be in that situation necessarily, but um, it's very different to to being in like not being able to to feed your family, brothers, sisters, mum, dad, whatever. Um, mm. So yeah, without getting too political about it, I think it's uh, it's generally nice to be in a society where that's the case. But uh, in terms of sport performance, certainly interesting to see where the the pressure can create diamonds, right? Yeah, oh for sure. I mean, there's always the underdog story, right? Always the yeah. underdog story in most sports, and they're the ones that people love because they've come from nothing and they've managed to do to do something with essentially not many resources, you know, backs against the wall kind of thing, and what that's what people love. Um, yeah, I mean that. I guess that <laughs> doesn't relate too much back to I guess team sport culture and stuff like that. You have a few in there, but it doesn't kind of give you any kind of guidance as a coach to to what you're going to do. Absolutely, absolutely. So James, massive thanks for your time and effort today. I really appreciate it. I like the little uh, little rogue stick a bit, bit at the end there as well. That was uh, yeah, that was really good. Um, I only like going. I only like going on the fly, man. You look <laughs> yeah. at me these questions, and then I have to look at them before, and I'm like, just. Just go freestyle. <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you very much, mate. I really appreciate it and I uh, look forward to the next one. All right, perfect. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to James for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Coach Academy. And the Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to find out some more about how you can improve sporting performance... All you need to do is hit the link in the show notes in just a few seconds time. You can get into the Coach Academy completely for free for seven days. And if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could give us a like and a share on social media. And it'd be brilliant if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, or even a friend. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.